Hello everyone, thanks so much for joining in the Portier Psychedelic Podcast. We are super excited to share our most recent conversation with you. This time we were joined by no other than Dr. Rick Strassmann. He should not need too much of an introduction for anyone with a genuine interest in psychedelic history. He's a clinical associate professor of psychiatry and led the groundbreaking studies of DMT in the early 90s where he administered approximately 400 doses of DMT to nearly 60 human beings. He is the author of DMT The Spirit Molecule, the book where he describes his findings on his fascinating DMT research, one of the most important pieces of psychedelic literature. Rick recently released a new psychedelic handbook, a new guidebook on all the major psychedelics and how to use them safely. We had a wonderful conversation with topics ranging from the current psychedelic renaissance, endogenous DMT, and its potential functions for the construction of our reality. We discussed his personal relationship to psychedelics today, practical tips of how to use DMT, and many, many more very interesting topics. We were also joined by Hunter, one of our earliest customers at Portier and a good friend by now, who actually first got us in contact with Rick. So thanks to Hunter, we have a beautiful new podcast where he is joining us. Hunter is a psychedelic integration coach, and if you want to know more about him, check out the links in the description. Thanks for tuning in again after our podcast break. Next to this podcast, we are currently working really hard on the next piece of beautiful psychedelic hardware. The Ceremony Box will soon be available at our store. Well, but what is the ceremony box? What is it indeed? Well, the ceremony box will focus on having everything for an end-to-end tea ceremony ritual. It will be the most beautiful stash box for your mushrooms and other psychedelics ever created in human history. In the past months, we researched the design very carefully and asked advice from Japanese tea ceremony experts, Rick Dublin, Paul Stamets, elderly Mayan medicine woman, researchers, Aliens. <laughs> Aliens. <laughs> the loved and trusted portal box will also be available again. You can now pre-order via our website. Be quick because we only made hundred of them. To store all of your psychedelics in the most beautiful way and optimize your set and setting. Thanks Sebastian. Save yourself $30 on our portal box and the upcoming ceremony box with the discount code REMEMBER. <laughs> a little bit silly. So remember the discount code REMEMBER for when you're going to PortierSupplies.com www.PortierSupplies.com P-O-R-T-I-E-R Supplies And now, without further ado, here is Rick Strassman. How is it to suddenly be this YouTube person and go on Joe Rogan podcast as a psychedelic researcher? Well, it's, it's been a kind of a gradual process. And specifically regarding Joe, I mean, I've known him since 2005 or so. Um, and, you know, we met, I think, in 2009 uh, for coffee in L.A. when we were both, um, I'm when I was there anyway. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, there were a number of close calls of me being on a show, but it never quite panned out. Um, 
Yes, yeah, so I thought uh, with the release of the new book, the Psychedelic Handbook, this would be a good uh, opportunity to, uh, you know, be on his uh, podcast. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, so, uh, you know, YouTube-wise, I've been posting stuff over the years. Uh, but, you know, with the new book, um, I, you know, things have gotten a lot more busy. Um yeah, and also with the burgeoning and I guess even explosion of interest in psychedelics. Yeah, yeah. Congratulations for like the release of your new book. Have you been writing on this for like a while, or like why do you think right now is a good moment to release it? Like, seems like the psychedelic renaissance is like in full gear. Um, mm -hmm. And well. Did you pick this, this point specifically or was it just like, ah, oh, you finished a book and now it's a good time to release or were you like um, thinking about yeah. this for some time? Yeah, it's a, kind of a complicated issue, you know. Um, and yeah, my answer to that question has been evolving over the last month or two. Um, you know, what I you know, kind of articulated to myself yesterday is uh, I you know, feel some responsibility Uh to the field because if it weren't for our studies in Albuquerque, uh, there wouldn't be an American, uh, you know, renaissance in clinical research. Um, you know, I helped uh, the other groups that started, you know, based on groundwork I had performed, you know, both uh, with respect, you know, to the regulatory authorities and, you know, the scientific uh authorities and uh and platforms you know so um once our study was completed i helped consult with the university of arizona study you know giving psilocybin for ocd uh you know the mdma study at UC mm -hmm. and at wayne state and an ibogaine study in miami and I also I, you know, provided all of the information that I had about psilocybin to the Hopkins group uh, in you know, the mid to late 90s, which allowed them to start their mystical experience uh, protocols. You know, so um, I kind of let the genie out of the bottle. And it felt like a good you know, time to kind of, you know, uh, you make a statement uh, by you know someone who is responsible for the American resurgence, uh, and you know the spirit molecule obviously has been inspirational or uh, you know motivational anyway for a whole generation of researchers and other people interested in this drug. So, um, yeah, uh, yes, yeah, so though it yeah, seemed you know like a good time you know to you know, write a textbook. It's you know basically a small textbook. Yeah. I guess psychedelics. And, uh, you know, once you become interested um, in psychedelics by something in the media, this, you know, then you could turn, you know, to my book as a, you know, bit, you know, more of an authoritative approach, uh, uh, you know, to them, you know, by I guess, somebody in the field, you know, for a long, long time. Uh, yeah. It's been a long time. How does it feel for you personally? Like, like compared to when you re released the spirit molecule, like what's the, yeah, what's your general feeling right now? Do you feel like equally excited as back in the days or much has happened ever since? Yeah. Well, the spirit molecule came out 
21 years ago, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and when I was writing that book, 1998, 1999, there really wasn't much going on. And I figured, well, it was it's a great story. You know, the DMT story is a great story. Um, you know, the government and the regulators and the university and the volunteers. And I thought, you know, at the very least, it's a good story that I want to tell. I like telling stories. Um, yeah, you know, so I wrote the book and figured, well, you know, I've done my part for the movement. And, then, you know, let's see what happens. Uh, so, yeah, and it um, it wasn't until a number of years later that things really started, you know, picking up, you know, with the Hopkins work. Um, and even then it was pretty quiet. Uh, you know, uh, you know, they were you know, publishing here and there. Um, yeah, you know, so after I you know, finished my studies in Albuquerque, which occurred in, you know, 1995, I'm going to wrap things up, give my last, you know, dose of anything, September 95, I, uh, started just, you know, being an everyday clinical psychiatrist, you know, working in mental health clinics, in private practice. I don't know. How did this feel for you? It was great. I mean, I... Yeah? Yeah, you know, um, I became a psychiatrist, you know, for a number of reasons. You know, one, you know, was because um, I figured if ever in the future people can study psychedelics, uh, you know, scientifically, it would occur within the discipline of psychiatry. Um, and I got as well trained as I did in order to you know, potentially study psychedelics at, at some point. Yeah, but also I, I, uh, um, I really like uh, the field of psychiatry. Um, you know, the subject matter, I like Freud, I like, you know, psychiatric patients, um, I like, you know, psychosis, uh, I like the hours, um, I liked other psychiatrists, um, yeah, the practice you know, was manageable, you know. So um, once I stopped doing my studies, and you know, research became a you know, secondary priority or kind of a instant past life, um, I rediscovered you know how much I enjoyed seeing psychiatric patients. I was good at it. Um, you know, you know, my patients liked me. I liked them, and uh, you know, it worked out quite well. Is this, is this something you could still imagine? Like, let, let's say psychedelic therapy becomes, like, really, like, um, yeah, a part of, like, treatment. Um, could you imagine going back into, like, uh, to helping people with the help of psychedelics? Um, you know, not really. I think about that all the time, and I wonder if I could either get back into doing everyday psychiatry or psychedelic research or some combination psychedelic assisted therapy yeah. i'm involved with you know psychedelics you know academically mentoring teaching consulting lecturing and stuff but um yeah i mean i've given a lot of psychedelics and i don't really feel like i i you know, need to anymore there's you know plenty of good you know, people out there doing good work you know so i'll I feel I'm one of the next crowded people who wants to come in and, and learn what I need to to help guide people because, you know, people like yourself have led the way for so long and you're ready to try something else. And there are a lot of us out there who are just as passionate as I feel like you were in your you know earlier days of doing these experiments that we want to help people. We want to share, you know, the incredible power of these plant medicines 
that have impacted our lives and that have the healing potential that they do. Yeah, I think, you know, rather than you know, hands-on work at this point, that, you know, my role is, uh, you know, more advising, supervising, teaching, educating. Are you tired of psychedelics, though? At a certain point, I mean, Joe Rogan, you, 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 read, you reach stardom, right? This is the Hollywood of psychedelics. You are it. You're a hot item right now. You're even taking a break right now, right? You say in November... You need to go in the woods, maybe, and just be in a teepee or somewhere far away. This is something like we are asking ourselves as well. Like we've been like working with psychedelics for some time now, like yeah. professionalized. And like we wonder if it could get, ever get to the point where like, I could imagine. I, I don't want to be related to psychedelics anymore. I don't care anymore. Right now it feels kind of unimaginable. Um. Yeah. Well, you know, for Almost 30 years, I've been saying I've had it with psychedelics. Um, <laughs> but, uh, what you yeah, you're kind of an itch. Uh, you know, you just can't stop scratching it. And, you know, I have got to admit that I have you know, something to say. And if you've got something to say and you keep it to yourself, what good is it? Uh, so, right. uh, it's kind of a double edged sword. Uh, you know, um, one of the things that um, I try to do is keep current on the literature. So I have a huge, you know, database of you know, scientific and other you know, papers, and, and and I keep current. I'm, I mean, I just keep current. But there's a new paper comes out, I you know, cite it in my database, and I print it, and I read it, and I, I you know, file it away. So it's yeah, kind of like an addiction. Uh, you know, positive addiction, you know, negative addiction, but it's just, you know, something that I can't seem to shake. Oh, you know, that's just the way it goes. Evan, like, have you found anything over the years that's equally exciting as psychedelic in your life? Oh, yeah, for sure. The Hebrew Bible. I mean, I love the Hebrew Bible. Oh, wow. I take it every day. Yeah, I'm working on a translation and commentary on Genesis that's now like 1,200 pages, so... Yeah, well, sin equal. Can... And th does it go ahead again? Yeah. I was about to say. Yeah. That's it. That's two topics that could be combined eventually as well, I guess. Oh, absolutely. And I combined them in that book I wrote in 2014, you know, DMT and the Soul of Prophecy. It uh, is a inter I'm an intersection you know, between the psychedelic, especially the DMT state and the notion of Hebrew Bible prophetic experience. Right. I very much enjoyed that book myself, Rick. And, you know, you're you're not the only one to have done that uh, kind of intertwining with, you know, a, a major religion or, or spiritual practice and, and these plant medicines in this way to almost um, be discussing an, an omniism you know, style approach of, you know, each of these religions and their sacred texts, like, do have very old copies, and each each one may have just pieces that are pointing to the same truth or pieces of the same truth. And on it, I personally really enjoyed um, the soul of the prophecy and how you did that very well without specifically stating, well, this is 100% right. You raised a lot of questions, um, as, as Graham Hancock does in his writings about just, just allowing us to alter our perception of what we think is a hundred percent of the truth, and what could be possible um, from just a different, slight perspective shift. 
um, and acceptance in our minds. So I, I love that book more for myself. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the points in the book I make some you know, pains to emphasize is that you don't need to locate a plant or a fungus or whatnot uh, to explain prophetic experience because of the existence of endogenous DMT in the brain. Mm -hmm. And so instead of, you know, looking under every rock or every root bark, um, you can dispense with that and you focus, you know, more on the, you know, the mechanism of the prophetic experience if it's occurring through spiritual or divine intervention and, you know, what's the information content and you know, how do you make, you know, the most of it. How come we still know so little about endogenous DMT? Man, that's a question I, I pose to every interviewer that I have the opportunity to pose that question to. There's two young men in the whole world that are looking at endogenous DMT. Uh, there's a postdoc at UC San Diego, John Dean, and a grad student at University of Michigan, uh, Nicholas uh, Glenos. That's it. Those are only two guys looking at endogenous DMT regulation. Um, you know, their group in Ann Arbor in 2019, I published a paper demonstrating that levels of DMT in the brain are comparable to the levels of serotonin and other neurotransmitters, which points to the possibility of DMT being a neurotransmitter. And, you know, think about that. There's a neurotransmitter stimulating the same receptors in the brain that psychedelics do. Yeah, you know, so what is that? How can it be so ignored by the scientific uh, community? Like, I just don't understand. Well, I think it's just too big of a rabbit hole for people to even want to look, you know, down into. Um, because it would just, you know, it, it would, you know, raise questions about, you know, how we know anything and what is it that we know. Um, yeah. Well, a while back, I kind of came up with the idea of DMT as the endomatrix. It's the, the, the thing by which we view reality. Uh, it's kind of, you know, the regulator of consensus reality. You know, so when you start, you know, digging into the biochemistry and the pharmacology of the regulation of reality, I, I just think a lot of people would rather not go there. It's a lot easier We're to think of transcendence and depression relief and uh you know meditation improvement than kind of stripping away the veil what do you think is reality if this is a question that can be answered and like a question that's not too too long well reality uh will you remember that supreme court you know, justice years and years ago uh, you know when asked to you know, to you know, to define pornography. And he said, I can't define it, but I know it when I see it. I think it's kind of the you know, same thing. I mean, it's you know, consensus. It's a feeling. It's an intuition. It's a sense. Uh, you really can't prove reality scientifically, but you can agree on what it seems to be. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I'd like to feel something from your background, the wording in science. Like, there's a lot of, you know, it's being distilled to these tiny terms. Like, oh, you have a spiritual experience. A mystical experience. Mystical experience. And, oh, okay, we see a correlation. Uh, many people have this mystical experience. 
and I respect that it's it's downgraded to this terminology. Yeah, just some some weeks ago, I had a conversation with someone like a scientist as well, uh, and he um, he wanted to get rid of the term of like like profoundness, um, universal consciousness, um, uh, oneness, and um, he thought that this doesn't belong into like the scientific world. But how would you translate those incredible experiences that? DMT or 5-MeO DMT have to offer into like a language that's that yeah. can be used for science or like other new medium. So how how we how do we? You answered more look already. <laughs> well, yeah, you know the person that you're referring to makes a you know, very important point, uh, which I think can be unpacked in as much as uh, you know there's a conflation uh, between your know, theological you know, notions and, uh, uh, you know, scientific, you know, disciplines, you know, scientific rigor, you know, scientific reporting. Um, you know, it's what I like to, uh, you know, call the, uh, you know, psychedelic religion of mystical consciousness. Um, it's a conflation of religion, you know, theology and, uh, you know, science, which is, you know, kind of riding on the back of the psychedelic experience. And I think that's kind of dangerous because it proposes a universal religion. Um, and it's being, you know, touted or you know, promulgated through science, uh, you know, through believers in the scientific community of a universal religion. And, you know, when you start talking about a universal religion, you have to ask, uh, you know, whose universal religion? Um, it's usually some kind of combination of you know, Vedanta and New Age uh, you know, beliefs. Uh, you know, the notion of a universal religion, um, at least it's the most, you know, current iteration, you know, came from, uh, you know, from William James uh, at, you know, the turn of the 20th century. Um, and, you know, James was inspired, you know, by, you know, by Swami Vivekananda, uh, a, you know, Vedanta, uh, you know, guru um, who visited the World Congress of Religions or the World's Parliament of Religions up in uh, uh, Chicago in the 1890s or so. And, you know, James, you know, kind of glommed onto that and, you know, then proposed this universal religion, which is, you know, fundamentally, uh, you know, Vedanta, you know, with you know, some, you know, trappings, uh, you know, some more, you know, kind of westernized trappings, you know, but, uh, yeah, it's a specific universal religion. It, you know, proposes that all religions point to the same thing, you know, that the mystical experience underlies all of the major religions. Uh, but, you know, what if you don't agree with that? You know, what if you don't agree with the reality or the truth of the universal religion? Well, then you become a heretic. You're a non-believer. Yeah. You haven't had the experience, and I guess it's yeah. weird uh, and, and non-scientific. Uh, it becomes a matter of faith as opposed to demonstrable data. So I think your interviewee was onto something, and I agree wholeheartedly with that. Uh, that you need to be very precise in what you're describing and promote. Yeah, yeah, it's difficult though to describe experiences like this, um, like these absolute experiences that you have, um, bringing them back um, yeah. after an experience. You can describe them uh, or you can approximate them. You know, one of the uh, strengths of the questionnaire we developed 
in Albuquerque for objectifying or quantifying the DMT state, the hallucinogen rating scale, is it's you know, phenomenological. It's descriptive. It isn't you know, based on an overarching you know, belief that psychedelics induce mysticism or uh, the DTs or psychosis or ego dissolution or insight or anything. It you know, describes the mental functions contained in consciousness and the effects of the drug on those functions. You know, so the experience is divided into you know, cognitive effects or you're thinking more slowly or more quickly or have new insights or new thoughts, uh, you know, somatic effects. You know, does your body feel, uh, you know, hot or cold, you know, lighter or uh, heavier, um, you know, perceptual effects, auditory, visual, and so on. So um, I think you could break things down phenomenologically without getting mired into, um, or, in, uh, you know, mired into, you know, like abstractions that get to be kind of matters of opinion, um, you know, rather than, you know, just the facts, you know, so just, you know, so with, you know, the five methoxy experience, which is, you know, typically this white light ego dissolution thing, you could describe it, yeah. you know, phenomenologically. You know, what did you see? Well, it was white. And what did you feel? Intense emotion. It was, uh, <laughs> it was a... Yeah, everything. It was a happy... Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you know, um, was there the resolution of paradox? Uh, you know, so uh, I think you can describe things without you know, going overboard. Right, but it still feels like we are these monkeys. We are able to loud speak about it and give it a zero or a one. Like one, you experience something that's paradoxical, but it seems so trivial to the experience. That's what's always blows my mind when I'm at a psychedelic conference like the the stuff we talk about is so distant from the experience <laughs> still uh, yeah well you know there are other ways to describe experiences there's art there's poetry um yes so exactly you know each temple that are made with from the the yeah which you see the muslims built these giant temples that are so similar to the DMT experience. Fascinating. Right. So that's a perfect yeah. expression. Yeah. Transcends yeah. And when you're in those temples, the visual experience you know, resonates with the DMT experience and you feel what it's like to you know, be on some kind of you know, level of DMT. Uh, you know, so I think, you know, we, well, you, you, well so I'm a you know, proponent of you keeping things, you know, separate. Uh, and you know, delineating boundaries, uh, because otherwise it's just a free-for-all. Um, you know, so, you know, science ought to limit itself to science, and art can limit itself to art. And, uh, yeah, I think, you know, science ought to be modest, um, too, and, you know, saying, you know, these are just, like, extracted, uh, you know, data points. It's not the experience itself. It's just a reflection that you know, we can manage, you know, mathematically. Exactly. All right. We try to mix uh, science and art and philosophy and everything in our, our products. <laughs> I, I do not yeah, separate them at all. I wonder, though, in a, in a scientific setting, how do you prepare someone for a DMT experience? Like, what is the, the, the conversation like before a DMT experience? Uh-huh. Yeah, we're getting back to, you know, one, 
point. Yeah, you know, if you're going to be, you know, combining all of those things, you should say, you know, we are combining all of those things, and there's no problem there. If you're you're pretending that you're not combining things, you know, when you are, I think that's when it gets to be, uh, you know, you know, problematic. You know, which I think is, you know, the danger behind the psychedelic religion of mystical consciousness. It's kind of a Trojan horse, you know, for this universal religion. Um, yeah. Well, uh, in our studies, we prepared people just, you know, minimally. Uh, you know, they were normal volunteers uh, with, you know, previous experience um, um, with, you know, psychedelics. Uh, like a very small number of them had smoked DMT before, you know, maybe two or three or four out of, you know, 53 or 54. Um, you know, so we just told people it comes on really quickly you'll you know feel like you've left your body don't panic we can manage things down here uh it's over quickly and uh that's pretty much it uh otherwise just you know have your own trip uh yeah keep your uh your mental eyes open so to speak uh and you know observe as carefully as you can and then once you come down we'll start talking about it you know, so it was, you know, pretty bare bones. We didn't, uh, you know, have many accoutrements in the room. You know, there weren't, you know, Buddhist statues or incense or tankas or things. Um, yeah, it was just, you know, this is the drug. We'll be giving it to you. It's really pretty wild. And just, you know, hold on to your hats. And, uh, you know, we'll be taking care of things down here. Otherwise, just, you know, have your trip. And, you know, because of the, the, you know, minimum suggestions that we gave people, we didn't really I you know, prime the pump, you know, to have any particular kind of experience. It was just, you know, have your own experience. Um, and you know, because of that, I came away convinced more than ever that the best term for these drugs is psychedelic. Their mind manifest, their mind disclosing, they work only on what's already in the person's mind, you know, more or less conscious. You know, so they're not entheogenic, they're not hallucinogenic, they're not mystico-mimetic, they're not psychotomimetic, they're psychedelic. They just work on what's in the person's, you know, mind in the first place. They're making things more clear, more, more real, you know, producing novel associations uh, with, you know, your pre-existing uh, material. Yeah. Perfect. Hunter, I know you have some interesting questions as well. Sure, yeah, absolutely, you guys. I'm happy to contribute my voice here. I, I was just pulling up uh, Rick in your book where you, you specifically define psychedelics and go through why you think that that is the best term and name. Uh, I, I absolutely love how you define it in there, um, you know, breaking down the Greek parts and, you know, referring to you know, the mind, soul, or intelligence, and to manifest it, disclose, or reveal it. I think that's such a, a beautiful, you know, description of the word psychedelic, and I, I agree that it certainly resonates best with those substances. Um, my my biggest questions that I have, um, and um, I just have a few, I know um, we briefly touched on it, I think, but the term also is psychoplastogens. Um, and and that definition being the substances that produce neuroplasticity and neurogenesis uh, from use 
Um, are there active studies for those specific, you know, results of using these medicines? Um, and I know that I believe in your book you mentioned, or maybe one of the other podcasts, um, that even though these medicines are, are producing these effects, it's not everybody who uses them's goal necessarily to have a psychedelic experience. So are there things in the works that isolate the parts of these substances that are producing neuroplasticity and neurogenesis that could be utilized by themselves to provide these, you know, healing effects without having a visual psychedelic experience? Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, well, there's quite a bit of interest in these compounds because they produce, uh, you know, neurogenesis and... Uh, neuroplasticity. Uh, they convert stem cells into neurons and increase the number of connections among neurons. Um, you know, functioning synapses uh, increase. Um, you know, so that's, you know, the case with ketamine. It's the case with the classical compounds. Uh, it's the case with MDMA in a, in a narrow window. Um, you know, so there and it seems to be some correlation between the psychoplastogenic effects and you know their efficacy, at least in animal models, uh, for depression, anxiety, and substance. Yeah, the, uh, there are a couple of groups now, one in Davis, UC Davis, and one at North Carolina, University of North Carolina, that are looking at these non-psychedelic psychedelics, which is you know, kind of a silly term. Yeah, you know, they're... You know, they are, you know, built on, you know, the platform of, you know, classical, uh, you know, compounds. You know, one is a, uh, one is an analog of DMT, another is an analog of Ibogaine. And they stimulate uh, neuroplasticity, neurogenesis, and have got anxiety, antidepressant effects without producing the behavioral effects in animals that seem to correlate with, you know, psychedelic potency. You know, so, um, you know, there's, uh, yeah, there's a, a, you know, movement and a lot of interest actually in, you know, developing, uh, these, you know, compounds that are, you know, that are as potent in their psychoplastogenic effects, um, um, as, you know, the classical, you know, compounds, you know, without, you know, producing behavioral effects or, in, uh, you know, which would, in humans, you know, translate into the psychedelic experience and is becoming kind of contentious. Uh, you know, there are, you know, there's you know, one camp that's, you know, saying, oh, you're depriving people of a meaningful experience. And that meaningful experience, in humans anyway, is, you know, correlated with, you know, with the outcome, you know, that you're looking at. Um, on the other hand, there's a lot of people who just want their depression better, their anxiety t to be lessened without a big psychedelic experience. You know, just like they would be you know, happy to you know take a more effective antidepressant for their depression without a mind blowing, uh, uh, you know, trip. You know, uh, I'm accompanying that. Yeah, you know, the Department of Defense, uh, you know, gave a 27 million dollar grant to the group in North Carolina to, you know, work on these non-psychedelic psychedelics, you know, because, you know, DOD, you know, wants to provide more help to veterans um, who are, you know, suffering post-traumatic stress disorder, substance abuse, all those kinds of 
uh, you know, problems in a more you know, palatable, you know, pharmacological manner. Um, you know, so uh, I don't know of any human studies with these compounds yet, but if they're not going on behind the scenes, you know, they're, you know, just around the corner. You know, the you know, safety issues in animals need to be worked out, you know, dose response to humans before they're kind of you know, taken out of, you know, the lab into, um, you know, the clinic. Um, you know, I think that, you know, people are always going to want to trip. Yeah. So it's kind of, 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 of interest, you know, to the people who want to trip. And I think in, you know, severe cases, let's say of depression, uh, you know, like, you know, for example, if you have a depressed person, uh, you start them on Prozac and if they get better, great. If, you know, they don't, or they're super suicidal or they're yeah. kind of off the wall, you give them shock therapy. Uh, and, it, it, yes, uh, you know, that's the gold standard for intractable severe depression. It 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 is much more effective, you know, than antidepressants. You know, but it's also got a slew of more side effects. You know, so if you're... I'm sorry, where does that stand in conjunction with, um, like, the ketamine depression treatment studies that they've done or even the MDMA that they are just recently doing? How does the shock treatment compare as a viable treatment um, comparing to that as opposed to the typical antidepressant regime that is, is you know, wanted by major medical doctors out there? Yeah, well, I don't think, yeah, the ketamine, well... Uh, you know, first, um, I'm not certain or I'm not aware of any uh, you know, head-to-head comparisons of EVT with ketamine for client treatment-resistant depression. You know, my guess is that ECT will be superior. Um, you know, but when you're talking about ECT, you've got you know greater efficacy, but you also have a you know greater range of side effects. And I think when you give uh, somebody a big you know trip you know for their depression. Um, if it's a severe depression, we'll start responding to anything else. You know, then you're you're looking at a uh, you know, greater efficacy, or you know, potentially anyway. You know, but you're also looking at the greater possibility of side effects, like you know, panic and de- you know even worsening of depression, flashbacks, you know, so on, um, and so forth. Um, you know, so I think even within the medical field, you know, psychedelics ought to be reserved for severe cases. As opposed to the, you know, de facto, you know, default, uh, uh, you know, treatment. We touched upon this like earlier a little bit. I mean, like what we are having a major focus on is like the home use of psychedelics, and like it can't be ignored that there's like millions of people by now, like around the world, doing psychedelics. Like numbers increasing. Um, do you have ideas for like a protocol on how to like make those experience safer for um, everyone or? Should it just be ignored and like not touched upon? But like, it's happening. Uh... Right. <clears throat> well, I think you know uh, the key is education. Uh, you know, learn about your know, set, your know, setting, dose, specific drug. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, I've yeah. <laughs> you know, read my book. Half that will go long. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if you're going to trip, you know, know what you're getting into. Um, you know, prepare yourself uh, over the long run, over the short term. 
you know, set things up in your environment to optimize benefit, minimize adverse effects, uh, you know, plan on a escape hatch if things start, you know, going south, um, you know, integrate, uh, you know, don't ignore integration, just take a single drug, uh, you know, you know, have things, you know, spelled out uh, in advance uh, to make certain that uh, things work out. And if they don't work out, you know, have a plan in place, you know, you know, to determine the, um, you know, the level of whatever uh, you know, problems that you're having. And, you know, then I, 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 you know, seek out an appropriate help. Um, I think, you know, one of the, uh, you know, sugar coatings that's going on with, you know, psychedelics is to call any adverse experience a challenging mix. Yeah. And I think that, you know, kind of normalize these, uh, you know, adverse effects, but I think it's completely unnecessary and can, uh, you know, do it a, a uh, you know, disservice and, you know, jeopardize your people getting, you know, the help that, you know, they may end up needing. You know, I, I don't think there's any reason to invent a new term. Uh, you know, you could say it's an adverse effect, specifically anxiety or depression or confusion, and it's short-term, medium-term, long-term, you know, mild, medium, severe. You wouldn't, you know, tell you know, somebody, oh, you're having an adverse effect. You would say, oh, you're having some anxiety as a result of your trip. Or you would say you seem to have entered a psychotic state that is kind of lingering as a result of your trip. Uh, so I think yeah, challenging experiences, um, yeah, it's not a good idea. I think you just call a spade a spade. It's anxiety. Yeah. Flashbacks, whatnot. Um, you know, so, yeah, yeah, you know, be aware of potential adverse effects, uh, you know, in a general sense, you know, recognize them. And, you know, recognize when they're interfering with things to the point that you should, you know, seek help. So, circling back to DMT, which is like, like your speciality, uh, like there's a lot of, we touched upon this briefly earlier as well, like there's um discussion um, if to use electronical vaporizers or if you should sit with like uh, manual pipes or the vapor genie or is there something you would suggest for people consuming DMT in like the most yeah safe way? Yeah, well, a few years ago, um, I got a call uh, you know, from a reporter. I'm up in Seattle, and he said, "Did you know they're selling DMT vape pens?" And uh, <laughs> I said, "You're kidding." Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, so yeah, they've gone mainstream. And some friend came by a few months ago and said, here, here's three DMT vape pens, you know, have fun. And I just said, whoa. Uh, yeah, I'm just not sure. Uh, I haven't used my DMT vape pens. I'm not going to smoke DMT by myself. Uh, you know, so it's a bit high tech. Um, well, in a way, it's, yeah, harkens back to the question of you know, botanical, you know, psychedelics as opposed to laboratory-made ones. Like, uh, you know, should you take peyote or you know, should you take mescaline or you know, should you smoke oh. toad or yeah. know, should you just smoke you know pure you know, synthetic you know, five meo DMT? Um, you know, my you know standard response is you know DMTs DMT, mescaline's mescaline. Uh, you know, vitamin C is vitamin C. You know. You know, regardless. Yeah, but there is the entourage effect. 
um, with you know other you know, compounds in the plants, which you know, can modify the effect of the primary compound. But, yeah, but if you're smoking pure DMT out of a pipe versus smoking uh, pure DMT out of you know vape pen, uh, I'm not sure if there would you know be any difference other than the aesthetics, uh, which can have a major would be different. Yeah, we try to uh, with our uh, product or portal box. We try to make it as analog as possible. Let's say to not be, yeah, messing around with batteries or having some, yeah, uh, some error in your, in your system. We try to keep it as close, let's say, to how it used to be, uh, like a, like a piece pipe. Um, and we feel that there's some quality to this. Like there's some ease. It it. it it looks familiar. You can easily share it with friends. Uh, but um, yeah, it's all catered towers having a little bit of a classical feel. Um, and I'm also curious if you have any ideas of how psychedelics use would be 100 years from now. Well, we yeah. do not have these sort of tools. Do you have any idea uh, 100 years ago? What would be the ideal state or how how we would use it by will, will we all be tripping in virtual reality and like will we have like virtual trip guides and uh, how how will this how yeah. how will this story continue yeah uh well i mean it, it can go any number of ways um, are you guys uh you know familiar with a novel by you know, philip k dick yeah you know, called the three stigmata of palmer eldritch uh, i've heard about it i haven't read it but so <laughs> Yeah, it's the various thing. I've... Yeah, it's about a competition between two psychedelics. Mm -hmm. I, you know, one is interstellar. It's called uh, uh, Z, uh, you know, Z Z, uh, and uh, the other is Terran. Uh, you know, from the Earth called Candy, and everybody on Earth takes Candy, uh, and it makes you small. And you go into this dollhouse and you play with Perky Pat and her friends. And you know, then you come out of it and you're you know, back in your kind of you know, dreary post-apocalyptic life. It, you know, the other is uh, you know, Choose Thee, which was you know, brought you know, to Earth you know, by you know, Palmer Eldritch or some you know, semblance of you know, Palmer Eldritch. Um, and it's a nonstop trip. Uh, you trip and you come down and you're still tripping, but it's different and you can't tell if you're tripping or not. It's a bit like, you know, it's an Alvin uh, wow. You just, you know, like it's this very weird overlap of reality and the drug state. Um, you know, so I think with the commercialization of you know, psychedelics and everybody wants to get, you know, you know, be the new kid on the block with the new, you know, with the newest, you know, psychedelics, um, I think we need to stay alert to the, potential dangers and you know everybody you know everybody tripping and not you know uh uh you know, necessarily for the advancement of Zach um, yeah exactly at the same time uh yeah I, I mean I think we just don't you know have the you know the cultural context uh you know you know we're not living in the jungle uh we're you know not living in virtual reality um yeah well you know my zen you know teacher used to say you know there's always you know 51 to 49 you know uh you know 51 good you know 49 evil 
um, which means that each of us needs to uh, you know do our part to kind of keep yeah. things on the up and up. Uh, so I think that also applies to the implementation of the uh, psychedelic state into in civilization. You know, I think in you know the short term, uh, it would be you know great if people who want to trip could trip for any number of reasons. So, yeah, you know, let's say they want some artistic inspiration, they want to improve their meditation, they're severely mentally ill, and they want you know, some relief. You know, any number of reasons to trip. In which case, you know, yeah, there ought to be. Uh, yeah, settings in which that can take place. You know, like, you know, for example, in the state of Oregon, they're, you know, working out the regulations for, you know, psilocybin, uh, you know, settings or, you know, sites. And, you know, uh, you know, uh, well, well, so hopefully, uh, you know, people will be able to go there who aren't severely ill and they'll be oh, yeah. managed in a supportive manner, and they'll have their experience, and it'll enrich them, and they'll you know, come out and you know, go and then go about their daily lives. <laughs> um, yeah, but I think also, you know, if you've got really bad, severe, you know, drug addiction, you ought to be able to go to a clinic with super trained people and you know, medical supervision and all those things, and you know, uh you know, work on things at, you know, that uh, you know, level of complexity in a safe and efficient manner and and everything in between. If you want to meditate better, you could, you know, go to the retreats, you know, where there are, you know, there are trained people. Yeah. Expertise in, uh, you know, both areas and, uh, you know, can manage any, uh, I mean, a problem is, you know, that emerge and, yeah, make the appropriate referrals. I I I wonder. So, have you have you ever thought of like uh, like a prolonged uh, DMT experience, facilitating a prolonged DMT experience, like let's say a week long DMT experience, or? <laughs> you're right. Yeah. Um, well, you're referring to that, you know, continuous sin. Exactly. Yeah is um, at, you know, the end of the DMT book. And, you know, Andrew Gallimore, I'm a colleague in Japan, and I you know, wrote a, a you know, theoretical a paper, a, you know, pharmacological, like with you know, psychotherapeutic, theoretical paper uh, you know, regarding a you know, continuous infusion, like over the space of a, of a number of hours. Yeah, so there's a, a group at Imperial College, you know, which is doing a study like that. Um, I think they've been infusing it, you know, for a half hour. You know, but it's a, a you know, full dose. Uh, I think it's James. That's, that, that's our friend. That's my, that's my old roommate, actually, who does it. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, I spoke to one of the volunteers, and, you know, he described it as a, yeah. you know, cleaner ayahuasca. So, yeah. yeah. I... I was happy to participate as a volunteer, and and I'm wondering if I'm like ready for such an experience. <laughs> well, you can always you know raise your hand and you know, say enough. Yeah, you know, stop. Uh, yeah. Well, 
you know, when I was doing, you know, my uh, studies, I wrote to NASA uh, in you know, the early 90s, and I said, you know, your astronauts going to, you know, to Mars are going to be mighty bored over that three-year trip. Use them with DMT, and uh, obviously, I've never heard back from them. But 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 still, uh, you know, good idea. I guess an unreasonable idea. Yeah, you know, maybe not for all three years. You would become kind of atrophic at that point. But right, oh, you know, you would exercise on your treadmill, and you'd go into a deep space for what? Yeah, like an hour. I remember once I took it to China. It was a bad idea. I was younger, uh, but I was so afraid that I would be such behind the like iron curtain there and be a little bit too much. Yeah, I don't know, brainwashed over there. So I took some DMT just to be safe to have a little <laughs> splash back with reality. Just to put. It's like yeah, I just feel like there's some DMT just to be safe. <laughs> yeah, let's keep my mind in check. Whatever. Yeah. But I'll never do that again. Luckily, the dogs at the airport back there was super tiny puppies. They didn't. Uh, they were probably not trained for DMT. But we don't advise anyone to bring DMT. No, 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 no. We are the ones who tell you how to use it properly. Uh, right. Or just don't tell what out. Exactly. Hunter, you had the question. Sorry, we interrupted you. That's okay. I, I just wanted to follow up what Rick had had finished with with his great discourse there on on describing you know what we can do to adjust people's perception to you know as you come on and Sebastian have done with the Portier box creating a product that allows people to change this experience from something that they uh, just do you know socially or at a party or out somewhere to something that is more of a ritual or ceremonial aspect in their life that has meaning that points and spotlights on personal growth and trauma resolution and these healing neuroplasticity aspects of the experience that that the perception generally is oh psychedelics are all about that that visual experience or that good time effect or that party scene and it, it, we're changing, you know, you guys, I feel that is your voice changing people's perception by saying, hey, this is something that we're, this is different. This is to keep at home. This is to create a ritualistic experience. Um, you know, this is this is a tool that you guys have created, and I think it's awesome. Um, you know, if you don't mind me, you know, speaking in turn a little bit, we had all discussed this prior, Rick, to you coming on, but we would really like to gift you one of these portini boxes if you're okay with that and send oh, yeah. it to you. Oh yeah, great. Um we'd love to we'd love to have your you know, you experience that if you ever feel like giving a cool little testimonial. I know Cohen and Sebastian will love to put that up on their site for the products and we'd love any bodies either way. Okay, sure. I yeah. have feedback. There's nothing illegal in there, so well Right. Well yeah, and you know, once we stop the recording, I could you know, give you my mailing address. Everything, yeah, of course. Yeah. That being yeah, yeah. Well, I you know it all boils down to you know set and setting. If you want to use you know DMT in a ritual manner, you ought to be able you know to do it, and uh, and you know have the resources available. If you just want to. You know, take a mushroom and go walking in the woods. You ought to be able, you know, to do that. You know, if you're prepared. Um, yeah, you know, so uh, you know, the stat, you know, who you are, what you want, and you know, the setting, you know, the environment, the accoutrements. 
Right. Well, and Tony and Sebastian, maybe you guys want to pop in real quick and discuss like the project 2.0 that is on the horizon also because of all yeah if we're not in all of their questions uh that would be nice but because we come into like the hour yeah yeah we're going to the hour marks i mean uh i'll i'll gladly have one left yeah yeah so um let's have you ask your last question hunter then i'll wrap it up a little bit uh let's do it sure my my last question rick is um, in your books, and, and I, I believe I've read most of them, and like I said, listen to most of the podcasts, you do spe- uh, specify amounts for average doses um, for IV and um, both inhaled vapor-wise. In your experiences and your experiments, have you come across people with a naturally higher-than-normal tolerance for DMT? Because I actually personally know someone who has to consume about three times the average amount for a typical experience to have the same level of experience as a, a normal person. And what that actually indicates, if chemically or, or biologically, for that person? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a good question. Uh, and I was just you know thinking about it the last couple of days because I heard from you know, somebody who has smoked you know 30 hips of DMT from the pipe with no effect. Uh, and he can take like a, like an ounce of mushrooms and things just get a little sparkly in the room. Uh, and he's kind of like, he's you know, feeling deprived. Like, I want to trip and I can't. Um, y- you know, in our study, uh, one volunteer, you know, we gave him the big you know, dose of IV DMT, like the one that completely incapacitates people. And he opened up his eyes, and I mean, he looked, you know, down at his IV, and he said, "Have you given me the drug yet?" Um, he had absolutely that is insane. There were no changes in his blood pressure, no, you know, dilation of the pupils, and you know, no subjective experience at all. You know, so. You know, Terrence McKenna used to say that you know, maybe five percent of the people you know that he gave you know DMT to had no effect. And um, uh, a long time ago, I was at a party and everybody was smoking DMT, and this uh, you know, female Russian psychiatrist uh, was smoking and smoking and smoking the same batch of DMT that was completely uh, you know laying other people out, and said, "I'm not feeling anything. I'm not feeling anything." Um, you know, so I think a small number of people, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, do not respond to DMT. And I've wondered about that, and I've speculated about it. You know, it could be that it's broken down more quickly, or their receptors are abnormal. Um, a few months ago, the group at North Carolina, you know, published a paper, uh, you know, demonstrating a, um, a. A single nucleotide mutation in the serotonin uh, you know, 2A receptor, which seems to induce, uh, you know, non-responsiveness to classical psychedelics, you know, behavior, you know, um, at least in lower animals. So it yeah, could be mutation. What a bummer. 2A receptor. Yeah, is that more or less a block, Rick, that, you know, kind of a mutation that has that has stepped in the way of... of... You know the neurotransmitters receiving the DMT molecules, or is that 
or or what would the mutation actually do like specific we just don't know yet would there be an evolutionary advantage to not responding to, to you know, psychedelics well i mean that's a big question uh i, I suppose it, it just depends on your view of you know teleology you know you know where are people heading or you know where is humanity heading if they can't respond to psychedelics anymore yeah that would be well, an interesting that would be horrible well, um, but I, I wonder if that group of people would be more inclined to or, or preferred to study for the uh, the neuroplasticity effect on psychedelics. Yeah, yeah. You know, they could still be experiencing the psychoplastogenic effects without any behavioral effects. Exactly. Interesting. I, I appreciate it, Rick. Thanks so much, Dr. Strassman. I, uh, this has been an excellent for me, and I'll, I'll let you guys finish it up with your, your 2.0 reveal. Well, yeah, again, um, it's an honor to uh, speak to you, of course. Um, we have read your work from when we were, uh, yeah, 10, 10 years younger. Uh, so it's been it's been quite a ride for us as well, making this project. And um, yeah, with our new box, we're going to make a, a tea ceremony kit. So this, this one is more catered towards DMT. And the other one will be like a Japanese tea ceremony, but it's really an homage to all uh, ritualistic use uh, across the world that has also happened in the past that we might not know about. Um, so it's a beautiful, sacred, ceremonial box uh, that's coming out uh, next year. And um, we are trying to optimize it as much uh, for anyone who's interested in psychedelic use, but with a fair warning and with fair advice as well it's not for everybody how to use it safely um, but it is for people who are interested in exploring their consciousness and not necessarily treating trauma or or depression which could come as a side effect or so we're very excited about this um, we would like to thank you for if, if you're taking a little bit of a, a break from uh, all these podcasts we would absolutely like to thank you for choosing to be on our porche podcast of course and we would love to gift you uh, our portal box as a major thanks. And also uh, on behalf of our community of thousands of people who have co-created our box with us. Um, yeah. So thank you so much. Uh, we have one last question that is, if you have a big message still um, to everybody, what would it be? Uh, well... Yes, seek peace and pursue it. Yes. Amen. It was covered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's in the Psalms, I think, or maybe in one of the books of the Torah. I'm not sure, but it's a great meme. Seek peace. You know, look for it. Seek and then pursue it. Wonderful. That's a wonderful quote. Um, thank you so much. I don't know if you want to ask. Probably. I I guess we talked a lot about it. Interesting. Yeah, what's the thing? You had a, one more question. Which is the most, which which psychedelic do you believe in most for the future? Is it still DMT? Believe in most. Uh, you, you mean that will help promote you know, world peace? Yeah, you know, so promote peace and help us pursue it on this mission. Maybe, uh, but I don't think any drug going to do that. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we need to seek peace and pursue it and then use the psychedelics to kind of make that pursuit the primary pursuit 
Thanks so much to Rick Strassman for this beautiful episode. We enjoyed it so much. Amazing. Um, just remember to use the promo code REMEMBER to save yourself some dollars when you shop for your next psychedelic gift on our web store. And if you're on our website, please subscribe to our newsletter to stay up to date with everything we're doing. You are involved in the co-creative process. You can give your feedback on our product development and you are the first to be notified when our new products are launching. That's it. Thank you so much for listening. That's it. Goodbye. <laughs>